This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought to you in part by June's Journey. Picture it, the glamour of the roaring 20s wrapped in a mystery that only you can solve. Dive into June Parker's captivating quest to uncover scandalous family secrets. With your keen eye for detail, find hidden clues and solve mind-boggling puzzles. It's all about observation, intrigue, and drama. But beware, each clue leads deeper into a thrilling storyline filled with danger and romance. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Your adventure awaits. I have absolutely no doubt that James Krausnick killed Kathy Krausnick that morning. Yeah. I mean, he he snapped, is what we believe. He just snapped. So you're saying that this man, who had never shown any sign of violence before and never shows any violence after, snaps one night, one night in his life, and puts an ax in his wife's head? Yep. Yeah. In September 2022, Jim Krausnick went on trial in Rochester, New York. This is such a troubling case. The defendant, who has no criminal history, no history of violence of any kind, was accused of murder, and a particularly gruesome murder. Krausnick's first wife, Kathy, was found dead in 1982 with an axe in her head. One of the most horrific crimes that we've seen in Rochester. She looked like she was just lying there on her right side sleeping. It does not appear that she ever saw this coming, that she ever woke up. The case is known as the Brighton Axe murder. I'm Erin Moriarty, and this is my life of crime. You're about to hear part two, Did She Marry an Axe Murderer? It is one of the coldest cases in the country to go on trial. It took 40 years, and it is a case that not only divided the community, it tore apart a family. This is my colleague, Mark Goldbaum. As a 48 Hours producer for over 30 years, Mark has seen it all. I've been to quite a few murder trials, as you could imagine, uh, working 48 hours. And uh, the one thing that is the same in every single murder trial is that the courtroom is divided right down the middle, literally, figuratively, in every way you can imagine. There's an aisle down the middle, and you sit either on the defense side or you sit on the prosecution side, and there's no intermingling at all. And believe me, there are few things tougher to watch than a trial that divides a family the way this one did. The defendant, Jim Krausnick, 71 years of age, had been married at that time to his fourth wife, Sharon, for nearly 25 years. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I'm, I'm proud of being married to 
Tim, my husband, and I'm proud to be there standing beside him and uh, that that I know that um, that we will, you know, survive this and we'll get through this. Sharon sat on one side of the courtroom with Sarah, Jim's daughter with Kathy. They both were standing by Jim. Jim is a decent, loving human being. There is no way Jim would ever, ever have done anything like that. On the other side of the courtroom was Kathy's family, her father, sister, and cousin. For years, they too believed Jim was innocent, believing that her killer had to be an intruder. But then somewhere along the line, I mean, it's speculation as to how exactly and when exactly they switched, but they came over to the other side, I mean, way over to the other side, uh, and uh, and were convinced beyond any doubt that, that Jim killed Kathy. A family divided. You could feel the tension in the air as family members walked past each other without even a glance. And that meant some tough moments for journalists trying to stay impartial. Mark himself remembers a particularly tense encounter after he spoke with Sarah Krausnick, Jim's daughter, in the hallway. I would like to have done it privately, but she was there and she was talking. So I started talking to her and the glare I got from from Kathy Krausnick's sister. And she just asked me point blank, you know, whose side are you on? I mean, in a very angry voice. And I said, I'm not on anyone's side. I mean, I'm here to get the facts from both sides. I mean, if I could, I would sit right in the middle of the aisle, you know, and not sit on either side. But of course, you know, people would be tripping over me when they tried to get to their seats. Sharon Krausick was in the courtroom every day. She walked in looking straight ahead, aware that people were watching her. She remembers what her husband said to prepare her for what was ahead. Honey, we need to plan, plan for the worst. We need to mentally and emotionally plan for the worst. And I remember start, started crying and said, well, I don't want to, and it... it no, it, it can't, it can't happen. Well, you know, we're going to get through this together. Imagine having to go on trial and remembering things you did and said 40 years earlier. It wasn't just tough for Jim Krausnick, the defendant. It's what all witnesses had to do. That is, the ones who were still alive, many were dead. Jim Krausnick's lawyer, Bill Easton, said his client simply could not get a fair trial in a case this old. I think it's it's difficult to almost to the extent of impossibility. What do you mean? So that, that witnesses change their stories or witnesses, what, what makes it impossible? Witnesses can't recall what happened 40 years ago. Uh, oh no, I, I take that back. They think they can recall what happened, but they're not. Kathy Krausnick was killed sometime in the morning of February 19, 1982. Back then, pathologists couldn't pinpoint the time of death. But 40 years later, prosecutors claimed they had found an expert witness who could now answer that crucial question. Was she killed before Jim left for work or after? And you may be wondering what Dr. Bodden was doing here in Rochester. Well, when this decades-old case was essentially reopened in 2015, Brighton police reached out to Bodden for expert advice 
because the medical examiner from the time was no longer alive. That expert was Michael Bodden. You've probably heard his name. Dr. Bodden has been hired to work on a who's who of whodunit cases, dating back 50 years and often raising eyebrows and generating controversy. From the assassination of JFK. Dr. Michael Bodden, speaking for eight of nine pathologists who reviewed the medical evidence, said the group found that the original autopsy on President Kennedy's body was seriously deficient in detail. To the O.J. Simpson trial. In court today, renowned coroner Dr. Michael Bodden made points for the defense, saying the victim struggled a long time, implying Simpson didn't have time to commit the murders and would have been bruised. To the reported suicide of disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein. But the key reason Dr. Bodden thinks Jeffrey Epstein's death might be a homicide is because of the unusual fractures he saw in Epstein's neck. And his work in this case was no less controversial. Reviewing the original files, Bodden did something that no other medical examiner was willing to do. He estimated that Kathy Krausnick's time of death to be about 3.30 a.m., which would mean she was killed before Jim Krausnick left for work in the morning. District Attorney Sandra Dooley admitted to me that she needed his opinion to go forward with the prosecution. You know, some people may say that we're looking for an opinion. That you were just looking for somebody who would pick a time of death that was before Krause left the house in order to secure an indictment. Absolutely. But if, in fact, Dr. Bodden had agreed with the other medical examiners, would you have hired him? Absolutely not. Dr. Bodden's estimated time of death placed Krausnick at home at the time of Kathy's murder. Defense attorney Bill Easton told me that this was not new evidence. It was just a new opinion. It's the extreme case that I've ever encountered in 40 years of criminal law practice. There really is no evidence that Jim Krausnick killed his wife. The physical evidence isn't there. There's no confession. There's no direct evidence. There's no scientific evidence. The evidence against Krausnick was largely circumstantial. He was Kathy's husband. He was the one to find her. And police believe that the crime scene was staged to cover up the murder. But if he was the killer, that meant he left his three-and-a-half-year-old daughter alone in the house with her dead mother. Sharon Krausnick said that's impossible to believe. What hurts Jim and what hurts me is the fact that people can believe, that they can actually think that he could do something so horrendous, so awful. There is no way, absolutely no way, Jim would ever, ever have done anything like that. Jim Krausnick's fate would come down to a few key details, with the outcome resting on the opinions of 12 jurors, which is why Dr. Michael Bodden's opinion was so crucial. My colleague Mark Goldbaum was in the courtroom when Dr. Bodden took the stand. I, I remember the day that he testified, the courtroom was packed, you know, and I was kind of shocked, like, Michael Bodden, I mean, what's the big deal? He's, he's a, but he is a big deal, especially in a small town. And, you know, that's not supposed to have an influence over people and certainly not over a jury, but you never know. 
In fact, we spoke to medical examiners who disagreed with his determination, but he was pretty clear that he thought she could have died at 3.30 a.m. Nobody else said that. Right. And his window did not include any time after 6.30. That, that's the key point. So in other words, Jim Krausneck was home when she was murdered, period. End of sentence, end of trial, slam dunk. We got it made. I mean, that, that, that is pretty much what the prosecution thought. Dr. Bodden's testimony was devastating for the defense. But he wasn't the only medical examiner to take the stand at trial. Catherine Maloney, a forensic pathologist, testified for the defense. I later asked her what she thought of Dr. Bodden's testimony. Can you pinpoint the actual time of death? No. Oh, my goodness. I wish I could. The best you're going to do is, is a window of several hours. I mean, so you're saying that Dr. Bodden is wrong? I disagree with him. Um, I think he's wrong. I think she likely died sometime between like 5 a.m. and 1 p.m. Prosecutors weren't just relying on time of death. There was also that curious crime scene. There was a silver tea set left on the floor that looked to investigators as if it had been neatly placed there. I mean, the single strongest piece of circumstantial evidence was that this was a staged robbery. There was something odd about it, and not just odd, but that it was staged, that it was made to look like it was that a burglary had happened. That you had the silver, you you had the silver standing straight up. Exactly. I will tell you that lie, I got the chills when the prosecutor said that, that the reason he did such a bad job at staging the robbery is that he didn't know what a robbery looked like. And I said, whoa, you know, just part of me like, wow, yeah, you know, nodding. Defense attorney Mike Wolford, however, had another theory why those valuables were left strewn across the floor. One could say uh, that it may have been interrupted. There may have been uh, an intention to, to burglarize the home, and then something interrupted them. Could three-year-old Sarah have come down the stairs and surprised an intruder? Or what about Kathy? But prosecutor Patrick Gallagher told me that the theory just didn't fit the evidence. Kathy was found dead in her bed, and there was no evidence, Gallagher said, that she ever got up. So if Kathy was awake and interrupted that burglary, the whole scene would look differently. Kathy would be found on the stairs or downstairs or, you know, at the top of the stairs. It would, it would not be a situation where the person is able to stop committing the burglary, go back all the way to the garage where they could have just fled, grab the axe, and then go up the stairs and find Kathy in her bed. It just doesn't, none of the pieces add up. But what if it was Ed Larrabee, the serial rapist living right down the street? Could he have slipped in on that winter day? Years later, he told FBI officials that's exactly what he did. And who can predict what a vicious career criminal might do? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the, that was the, the entire defense, was uh, that Ed Larrabee was just a really bad guy. No one would argue with that. Not even the prosecution. He was a genuinely bad guy who just happened to be living right down, you know, like four, you know, just less than a mile away. And not just a bad guy. He was a predator of women. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, exactly. So uh, it, that is a defense attorney's dream, 
you know? I mean, to have somebody to point a finger at, I mean, my gosh, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't make that up. And that was, that was absolutely the main thrust of their defense. There's no question about it. But there were real problems with that defense theory, which I pointed out to Krausenick's attorney, Mike Wolford. When Ed Larrabee confessed, supposedly confessed to killing Kat. In Ka- 2014. Ka- right. He got all the details wrong. Oh, yeah, right. He, he said she was overweight. He said she was dark-haired. Yeah. He and, said he left her naked. Yeah, he and, said he assaulted her. None of that happened. Right, and that was 34 years after it happened. He was, uh, he was dying of ALS. He was dead within, I went, 10 days. Both Wolford and Bill Easton said that when Larrabee finally confessed, years after Kathy's murder, he was too sick to remember all the details. He was, uh, you know, absolutely heavily medicated. Years later, the details are wrong. Not all of them. That's what the defense argued to the jury in the trial, that it could have been Ed Larrabee. We all wondered if Jim Krausnick would take the stand in his own defense, talk directly to the jury himself. But he stayed silent, letting his defense attorneys speak for him. How could he testify as to events 40 years ago? He's not going to remember them, too. And his lack of memory might be misinterpreted as evasiveness. As in most criminal trials, the prosecution got the last word. And when it was Patrick Gallagher's turn, he told the jury that the evidence, circumstantial as it was, pointed to one person, Jim Krausnick. He told a convincing story that touched on so many little pieces of evidence, circumstantial, and it was it was a beautifully told story. And, I, and in my mind, I remember saying, you know what, he's given the jury permission in a way to say, okay, you know, you did it, you convinced me, the guy's guilty. When Krausnick's case went to the jury, Mark says that he, like so many others in the courtroom, was torn. Now, I listened to all the evidence, but the bottom line is, I mean, every time I was leaning towards, yeah, I guess, I mean, it's sort of lining up, but who else could have done it? And, and, and maybe the, the, uh, the burglary was staged uh, and all those things. I found myself leaning, well, I guess, I guess he's guilty. And then I would come back to, but how could this guy have left his, his innocent, you know, three-year-old daughter? And we're not talking about like for a half hour now. She was in that house for 10 hours with her mother with an axe in her head. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. As I mentioned earlier, this was a troubling case. Those of us covering the case talked about it incessantly. It seemed impossible to believe that a man like Krausnick could commit such a brutal act once and then go on to lead a perfectly normal life. And yet, I was also bothered by the evidence of the shoe print. If you remember, inside the black plastic bag left at the crime scene, there was a faint shoe print. 
Patrick Gallagher, the lead prosecutor, told me his theory. The only way that gets in there is when the bag is being opened, when items are being placed in that bag. And Whether somebody is putting their foot on there so they can hold it open? So you're stepping on the edge of that bag, holding one edge, and you're placing that silver in the bag. Investigators determined the print was left by a boat shoe. Why does that matter? Here's investigator Stephen Hunt. He's a boat shoe wearing guy, and we don't have uh, murderers running around in February in the wintertime wearing boat shoes and killing people. And even though the shoes that Jim Krausnick wore back then were not tested to see if they were a match, it's pretty incriminating evidence. When the case went to the jury, Sharon knew that Jim's fate and her own were hanging in the balance. Were you worried? I was worried, yes. And Jim being the husband, and that's being the typical fall guy, the husband must have done it. I was very fearful. Altogether, it took the jury almost 10 hours of deliberations. Could the poor person please rise? To reach a verdict. Guilty. Jim Krausnick was found guilty of second-degree murder. I remember standing up, but I saw this one deputy across from me, and I said, oh, please let me hug my husband. He said, no, no, I, I can't. Mark, who was in the courtroom for the verdict, says both Sharon and Jim's daughter, Sarah, were visibly shaken. I would say Sharon and, and, and Sarah was stunned. And I, I can't, you can't read Jim at all, period. And in this case, the prosecution told a wonderful, clear, compelling story. And the defense, not so much. And so I thought there might be enough reasonable doubt. But I think when you... Listen to and read the closing arguments. You do kind of understand why the jury went the way the jury went. I joined Mark for sentencing. Both of us were surprised when we heard Jim Krausnick speak for the first time. To this day, it's still very difficult for me to talk about the circumstances that surrounded her death. All I see is Kathy with an axe in her head and Sarah standing in the hallway, disheveled, with an empty and distant look on her face. I did not murder Kathy. I love Kathy with all my heart and with all my soul. We were also surprised to hear from a person who was in the house on the day Kathy was killed, the now grown-up Sarah. The jury's verdict, she told the judge, had now robbed her of the only parent she had left. I've been blessed with the most extraordinary parents. Sadly, they have both been taken from my life. My mother's killer got away with her murder, and my father's life has been taken by a failed justice system that convicted him of a crime he did not commit. Their words appeared to have no effect on the judge, who sentenced the 71-year-old defendant to 25 years to life behind bars. Jim Krausnick had planned to appeal the verdict, his lawyers arguing that forcing him to defend a 40-year-old case violated his constitutional right to a fair trial. Sharon Krausnick 
was optimistic. We have a lot of hope. We have a lot of faith. This is not our retirement. This is a hiccup. This is just a, just a, a pause. That was Sharon right after the trial. She didn't know then what lay ahead of them, because shortly after Jim Krausnick went to prison... It came across very suddenly, um, probably within 30 days of him being incarcerated, uh, did he notice that he was unable to swallow completely his food, um, even liquids he was having difficulty swallowing. So it happened very quickly. When I spoke to Sharon again this fall, I learned that Jim had esophageal cancer and died in prison while his appeal was still pending. I'm doing fine. Yes. As best as you can probably expect. I mean, my my heart is broken in a million pieces, but we'll get through this. We'll somehow turn this into a positive. Did you get to spend time with him? Did you get to say goodbye, Sharon? Well, um, Bill and his team filed a habeas corpus uh, to get Jim home for his last week so that he could be with his family, he could be in his own bed. I wanted to be with him. I mean, I wanted to be with him 24 hours laying down on the floor by the bed, as any spouse would. But District Attorney Sandra Dorley opposed that petition because it was an improper procedure to seek release pending appeal. The DA's office was also aware, I was told, that at the time of the petition, although Jim was still incarcerated, he had been transferred to a prison medical facility for care. Um, They would rather have Jim die in prison. Um, And so I flew out on a Monday and uh, Jim passed away. And since his death, something very surprising has happened. Under New York law, both Jim Krausnick's indictment and conviction were erased from the books, which means because of his untimely death, Jim Krausnick is now technically an innocent man. Both Sharon and defense attorney Bill Easton talked to me about this unexpected development. So, Bill, I'm going to ask you, because... Jim died while he was in prison and never got a chance to challenge this conviction. There is this thing in New York law called abatement by death. Explain simply to somebody what that means. Yeah, abatement by death means that if you die during when when your appeal is pending, the uh, indictment is dismissed, your conviction is vacated. We don't want the indictment dismissed, nor do we want the conviction vacated. Hold on. Isn't Jim technically, as we speak right now, a man who's never been convicted? So why isn't that what both of you want? Be- because the I think the operative adjective in, in your statement, Aaron, is technically. We think that we can get it vacated on substantive grounds so that the merits of of this of his appeal are addressed and he wins on the merits not on a technicality bill easton is fighting to get jim krausnick's appeal heard it was important to your husband wasn't it sharon and why is that important to you so in the public opinion 
um, Jim is guilty. I mean, people look at me and they think, oh, Sharon, gosh, you're married <laughs> to someone that murdered his wife. And I'm thinking, I, that's just not true. So no, it's not, the, the slate is not clean. Um, but I just feel that Jim deserves this. He deserves true justice. You want to be able to appeal based on the fact that this was a 40-year-old case. It was very difficult for Jim to defend himself. Am I correct? Yeah, there's there's a dozen issues, Aaron. But one is the 40-year delay. We lost our best witnesses. So you're still going to fight it. You're still pursuing it. Yes. And Sharon, I got to ask you, though, for you and Sarah, I mean, as you are sitting here today and I know you're mourning, you just lost him this year. Do you still believe he's innocent? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, Aaron, there's just no question. I am so proud to be a Krausnick and I hold my head high. Jim's family is so loving. They're so they're so honest. They're so noble. And, and that's how, really, that's how Sarah is today. She's, you know, moving on. She loves her dad so much. She was at the trial every single day. And she's, will never talk badly about anyone. She's very positive. She keeps that to herself. And, you know, I really admire her for that. Sharon may never get her wish to salvage her husband's reputation. So far, the New York courts have denied her husband's posthumous appeal. And if you're curious about what investigators and prosecutors think about it, consider this. While I could never have anticipated this unexpected development, I did ask District Attorney Sandra Dorley this question right after the trial that seems so relevant now. Are you worried at all about that? If an appellate court ruled in favor of Jim Krausnick and said that his rights have been violated, then it would all be for nothing. It wouldn't all be for nothing. Kathy's story was able to be told, and that family was able to get justice. Justice has been done for Kathy. I'm Erin Moriarty, and that's my life of crime. This podcast series is developed by 48 Hours in partnership with CBS News Radio and Paramount. Judy Tigard is 48 Hours executive producer. Megan Marcus is vice president for podcast editorial at Paramount. Production and editing for this season by Caroline Casey, Annie Cronenberg, Danny Levy, Megan Marcus, Kiara Norbitz, and Alan Pang. This episode was also produced by Mark Goldbaum, Josh Yeager, Jamie Stoltz, Charlotte Fuller of 48 Hours. And finally, a thank you to all of you, our listeners. We owe it all to you, the millions of 48 Hours fans. Don't forget to join me online. I'm at EF Moriarty on X, and we're at 48 Hours on X, Facebook, and Instagram. See you soon. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill, if it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern. 
and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.